0: Welcome to the Everything ECE podcast. I am your host, Carla Ward, and if you've been with me a while, you probably already know that I'm damn proud to be an early childhood educator, and my mission is to make early childhood education one of the most respected careers in the world. Well, today's guest certainly has the same goals. She is ready to spark a revolution so much, in fact, that she wrote a book about it. Today's guest is the incredible author, educator, consultant, and speaker, Ray Pika. Welcome to the show, Ray. Uh, thanks, Carla. That was
1: such a nice intro.
0: Thank you. I am so excited and totally fangirling having you on the show today. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> I'm really glad to be here.
0: I am so excited. So, tell us about how you got to where you are as an ECE. Talk about your journey.
1: Oh, my. Well, it's not one that makes any
0: sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> I never
1: imagined this life. Uh, the only part that's that's, you know, accurate to what I dreamed as a little girl. I've known since I was in fourth grade that I wanted to be a writer. So that part has come true. But, you no, know, I started um, dancing, you know, in my late. Uh, when I was 24 and then I started teaching dance to the little ones and Then, I mean, almost almost immediately, I realized that they didn't need dance technique as much as they needed body and spatial awareness and some fundamental movement abilities, you know. So I became the movement lady, you know, these are the weird steps. I I went to the local childcare centers and preschools in my area. And I was the movement lady who went in for 45 minutes at a time and did my thing. And then I started hiring and training instructors, and then that frustrated the heck out of me because they were doing things I hadn't asked them to do. <laughs> uh, so I was um, I was married, or maybe not quite yet. Anyway, my former husband is a musician-composer, and I asked him how he would feel about writing music for my movement program for the children. And he didn't think of it as children's music, which I think is what makes it so successful. And together, we created the Moving and Learning series. And oh, I don't know. It's just been the strangest journey. And
0: gosh, I love it.
1: You know, I became aware, obviously, that children need to physically experience concepts in order to learn them. So I became a proponent of active learning. And then, uh, then I just, you know, I just became so passionate about what was happening with the children and in the field that, you know, I got ticked off. (laughs) And I've been writing a lot of what if posts. And I wrote the book, what if everybody understood child development? And, you know, so I've been told recently that even though I haven't thought of myself as an advocate, apparently I have been.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. That's the word that I think of when it comes to you.
1: Oh, well, that's nice. I'm glad. It's weird how you don't see yourself very clearly.
0: (laughs) Isn't that true? Oh my gosh. Well, and you are ready to really light some fires with your next book. That is coming oh. out November 29th. So yes. this podcast will be airing right around that time. Wonderful. And we're ready to light some fires under some ECE butts. Oh, yes. Yes. Because I can't do it alone. I'm tired and old. <laughs> no. And I think we've been fighting the same fight for so long <sighs> that we now need to start thinking collectively instead of trying to do it on our own.
1: Exactly. I mean, we all know that strength in numbers, and i'm always likening it to the drip in the faucet in the the you know the sink that just a little drip 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 but if you let it go you know if they start to collect they become a whole sink full and they'll spill over and flood the whole house and and that's you know that's what we have to do i mean we're not going to be rushing to congress to testify i mean if somebody wants to do that great but there are there are little things there are medium sized things and there are big things that we can do to make a difference but we do all have to join together to do it
0: 100% amen to that and like the little drips it really is about playing to our own strengths yes yes we do what we can and a lot of the things i recommend in the book
1: anybody can do. For example, you want an example? Uh, Yes. You know, using our language, using our words because language matters. So we don't call ourselves just anything.
0: Nobody can see me right now, but I just had to steady myself because that word is such a trigger for me because there's nothing just about it. Yes.
1: Uh, I saw you. (laughs) I saw your reaction. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, you know, if you're at a social event and somebody asks, what do you do for a living? If you say, I'm just a preschool teacher. Oh no, no. Then you're going to be in their eyes, just a preschool teacher, which translates in their brains to just a babysitter, you know? So you tell them I'm an early childhood professional. I work with preschoolers or, you know, whatever it might be. And you speak with, with passion. So you know, we use our language. It's a childcare center, not a daycare center, because no one's taking care of days. Um, you know, and 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 then we we tell our stories and we speak with passion and we talk about a success story we had or why we get into the field, why we love the field. And people have to see it as a profession, and and that starts with us. You know, we have to see it as a profession.
0: Absolutely. We need to own that professionalism 1000%. Yeah,
1: exactly. And it does seem as though we've been talking about that forever, you know, about that. And, um, but I'm hoping everybody is as ticked off as I am. I mean, there are just so many reasons why we should be, I mean, the teachers are exhausted. The children are anxious and depressed. The field is floundering. They, they left us out of the latest economic package, like we didn't matter at all. I mean, despite the child care crisis, oh, I could just feel my blood pressure.
0: <laughs> you and <laughs> me both, know. my friend. I'm going to get
1: to the chiropractor's office after this. They're going to take my blood pressure and say, what is the matter with you?
0: <laughs> hey, me and my soapbox have been working hard today.
1: <laughs> ah, yes. Yes. So I'll take deep breaths on the way there. Yeah. It's, um, oh my God, you know, people who don't know anything about early childhood education or child development are making decisions about children, you know, and pol- education policy. And it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. There's just so much, so much. Uh, and it has to
0: stop because hmm. it's not like the politicians don't have children, like every single one of them cannot be childless. Surely somebody's taking care of their children. Surely they've watched child development and yet it is still an afterthought.
1: Well, I think the problem is that most of them are old white guys, Uh, you know, not to get political, but you know, I remember uh, I had a colleague when I lived in New Hampshire, there was a woman who was on the state legislature and she um, was an early childhood professional. And she told the story about, you know, gosh, I don't want to think about how long ago this was, you know, fighting for childcare. And the old white guys in the New Hampshire's le- legislature were saying, oh, my wife did without childcare. We don't need that, you know, as though times hadn't changed, as though the world hadn't changed, you know, as though everything had stayed as old as they are. So, you know, so yeah, I'm sorry to get political, but um yeah you know when i listened in on a summit i don't know if it was this past summer or the summer before carla because time has completely <laughs> got away from me it was defending the early years and um i think it was last summer posse salberg and william doyle co-authors of let the children play fabulous book um they were you know talking about about play and somebody asked Pasi why, because he's from Finland, why Finland was doing so many things right in education. And he said it wasn't just Finland, but it was all the Nordic countries. And he attributed to the fact that 50% of the political power belongs to strong women.
0: Amen to that.
1: The rest of my case.
0: Uh huh. Tell me about it. I mean, you know. I don't think it's
1: sexist to say that women are the nurturing souls. You know, women are the caring ones. There are men like that, but we're the ones who think about such things. So first of all, we have to start electing more smart, strong women, you know, and just in terms of voting, that's another thing that we all can do at the state level, at the local level, you know, as well as the federal. Because so much of policy is made at the state and local level, uh, school boards, all of that, and it's a lot easier to put someone, you know, do a little research, put someone in place who shares your philosophy. Uh, it's easier to to speak to them about what we need than to try to fight somebody whose philosophy is completely opposed to ours.
0: So absolutely and you want someone who shares your values so that when you go to talk to them you're not trying to educate them and convince them about your policy exactly because that is really exhausting
1: i mean we still have to bring our research to the table you know Mm -hmm. um but yeah there are lots and lots of ways that we can spark this revolution you know little itty bitty ones and great big ones and we just all have to as they said in the movie, which I can't remember the name of right now. I think it was network. I'm mad
0: as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. Absolutely. And the thing is I chose to be an early childhood educator because I am passionate about education Mm -hmm. and I want to keep being passionate about education, but I need the support from people outside education to stop feeling like we're fighting against a brick wall over and over again
1: yeah yeah i just shared a a, um a podcast from bam radio network this morning on twitter i can't admit i have to admit i didn't listen to the whole thing but i got the gist and it was you know why were we heroes during the pandemic and why hasn't that admiration lasted you know i I mean they were talking about paying teachers a billion dollars a week what's her name um who wrote you know, who, who did Grey's Anatomy, produced Grey's Anatomy. Oh, Shonda. Shonda. Rhymes. Rhymes, yes. Uh, she said that, you know, and, and then it seemed like uh, as soon as we weren't turning ourselves inside out, I, I say ourselves, I mean, I'm not in the trenches. The, the Same t- here. The teachers in the trenches, you know, who at some point said, Hey, you know, our health is at risk, our family's health is at risk, or, you know, you can't expect us to do all of this. Suddenly they were vilified and it's just ridiculous. There's a a thing I I came across um, online that, oh, talk about blood pressure. The, one of the advisors to the Tennessee governor was saying something about, you know, teachers being educated in the, they were among the least educated in the worst colleges. And we're going to prove that we can do it without them because anybody can teach a child. Mm -hmm. Oh my God.
0: Seriously. And if it wasn't at the detriment for a child, I'd say like, please go ahead try. call me later. (laughs) But at the same time, I'm like, don't you go near those children? I know. I know.
1: Well, I have some pretty nasty fantasies about (laughs) fighting politicians into the classroom you know making them sit at little desks no breaks can't get up to pee can't stand um hunched over worksheets hour after hour after hour and see how they like it you know
0: (laughs) bring them in for one story time in a room full of 24 preschoolers Uh, and then pour yourself a coffee sit in the corner and say you got this oh i love it right they would Uh, come out looking so disheveled Oh, they wouldn't wow. know what hit them <laughs> oh no, they wouldn't i mean that is one of the most ignorant things i've ever heard said oh the one that gets me it must be so nice to play all day mhm and i mean i've now perfected my response in the sense of actually it is because i know how much it benefits the children developmentally and then i go into my whole little spiel <laughs> because i've learned how to basically say stuff you in a roundabout way <laughs> yeah yeah no, but, exactly yeah but for our newer grads it's still something that they're learning and especially i mean i became an ece at 19 years old mm. so for those poor 19 year olds who you know are dealing with parents who don't
1: you know value don't
0: play. yes they don't see the value of play or don't understand it it's how do you find your voice when you're 19 and that is where people like you people like me who've been around for years Really have to start showing them how to start that revolution because we can't keep doing it on our own. And eventually you and I are not going to be around and we want to leave that legacy and hopefully no longer a fight. But one of these days,
1: you know, before I'm 112, I would (sighs) like to retire, or at least semi-retire. It would be be nice to know that things are being taken care of. Um you know one of the things I, I worry about, I worry a lot, Carla. I come from a long line of warriors and I'm <laughs> very good at it. You can tell by all the white hair, um, which I've had since my 40s. But I worry that some of the young early childhood professionals coming up haven't had the experiences that we had as children. They they don't really know what it's like to play. You know, to experience free play without anybody watching and directing, and uh, and they're very used to screens and technology, and and so, yeah, that's um to me that's kind of a barrier to the revolution. What do you think?
0: I would agree, and I was funny. I was looking at my old college to see what their courses are, and I have to say they have changed in twenty years, which is great because you can't. Keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect changes. But there almost needs to be a class that is playtime. If colleges and universities truly want educators to value play, then they're going to say, Hey, you're paying for a tuition. We value your time and money so much, you're going to play for an hour. (laughs) Right? Because people would say, well, I just play all day. I can't believe I'm paying for this. Oh my gosh, you are paying to play. You have such a great education ahead of you. Yeah,
1: except so many administrators don't understand the value of play. And from what I hear, a lot of early childhood professionals, you know, are, are leaving their pre service programs without anything like that, with no child development courses. And more like how to use this curriculum to follow this curriculum and how to manage classrooms. And, you know, and it's, uh, it's frightening to me because I hear stories now about, about children being greeted by uh, what you call it, tablets that welcome them. And the only time the teachers stand up is to go change the video on the tablet and, uh, oh,
0: God. and
1: the tablet sitting on a table during lunch and the teachers are at a different table there's no engagement there I hear stories about movement and music activities being um you know conducted by strangers on a screen and and it all concerns me and speaking of movement and music I wrote a textbook called experiences in movement and music eons ago and you know, I just watched those sales go down, down, down because fewer and fewer prep programs have, you know, offer that as a course. Whereas movement and music used to be the end all and be all in early childhood.
0: It was a whole circle time for us. Like we didn't do like say circle time where it was directive teaching, but we did full movement and movement music and movement circles. It was funny. One of my students came on singing, Hi, my name is Joe. And I said to him, Do you know the actions? And he looks at me like, Actions. I said, Well, where did you hear the song? YouTube. Of course. I like, so I showed him all the actions for pushing the buttons. And yeah, it's, I mean, tablets cannot be replacements for human connection. Mm. um And I'm finding that there are parents that are starting to notice. I've got a neighbor who mm-hmm. has actually pulled her child. Um out of school I've noticed a huge movement in homeschooling. Yeah. Because parents who can afford it are able to pull their child out of school and supplement with movement, swimming lessons, you know, free music, homeschooling curriculums that are hands-on. Yeah. Um so because they're realizing their child is going to school her child in particular watched more movies in junior kindergarten last year than he has watched in an entire year at home. Wow. And oh my she God, was absolutely wrong. mortified. Yeah. 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 Good
1: for her. Yeah. You know, speaking of the parents, uh, the, the, the first part of the book is debunking the four myths that I think are harming early childhood the most and the children. And the parents and the teachers. Um, the second part is about the speaking up, and it's not just speaking up to administrators and policymakers. First, we have to speak up with the parents, because I think that that ground up, that bottom up approach is so important. You know, we have to help them understand what's really right for their children, because that's what they want is what's really right, and that's why, because they've gotten so much misinformation. You know, those myths I'm trying to debunk that they have been clamoring for academics over play. Mm-hmm. Now, if we can get the, you know, the wheel turning in the other direction, you know, helping them understand that this is a myth and that that one of the myths is that play, is, play time is not productive time when it is the most productive time for young children. So if we help them understand those things, you know, and there are myriad ways that we can speak up with the parents, you know, I mean, maybe speak up sounds too harsh, but that we can, um,
0: help them understand, you know, it all comes back to communication, hmm. right? Communicate what you've done, communicate what's been learned, communicate, um, how parents can, you know, transfer those things to their own home. Like, I mean, especially first time parents bless them. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. really are like, we go to school to be early childhood educators. These poor parents just kind of get handed this tiny little thing and it's like, good luck. See you later. So (laughs) they do rely on that village mentality to say to them, Hey, guess what? You don't have to do flashcards with your two-year-old. In fact, please don't. (laughs)
1: Yeah, or a lap wear with your infant.
0: Oh, yes, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah.
1: They're getting so much misinformation from the media, from social media, from one another. Oh. I mean, life has become one big competition, you know, and even the, the, the parents who do know better, the early childhood professionals have said to me, ah, I'm getting so much pressure,
0: you mm, know, so from true. other parents
1: to enroll my child, you know, the, the one who said from the local... Um, competitive soccer program, you know, to enroll my child. Well, how old is your little girl? Oh, she's two and a half. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) So, yeah. So we have to help them understand. And then, of course, we have more numbers. And we have more voters. We have more, more constituents who are asking for things because that's what the policymakers care about
0: squeaky wheel gets the grease. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. So let's squeak the heck out of this.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my goodness. And, and exactly when politicians or when social media is getting the same message repeatedly, whether it's positive or negative, it does make an impact. Oh, so yeah. we are in control of how that story goes. Yeah. We just have to be consistent and I hate to say that we have to justify what we do because we don't, we shouldn't have to, let me rephrase that. We shouldn't have to, but we are still in that phase Uh, here in Ontario. We have a college of early childhood educators. And when I graduated college that did not exist Ah. and it has now become a professional organization that is now, you know, set us up as stronger professionals. Nice. However, we are still fighting the same fight that we were 17 years ago, but we now have more people collaboratively working towards that common goal of respect for our career, for our students, and for our ECES. Yeah. So yeah. it's we're still in that justifying stage, but I truly believe if we keep going, there there has oh, yeah. to be an end point. You
1: can't give up because because everybody's suffering, but especially the children, they can't go on like this. You know, they were meant, they were born to play. yes, and, uh, and they're born to move. The human body is created to move. And and I, you know, I heard from one instructional coach who told me she walked into a classroom, Oh, it's a weird term to use with one-year-olds, but a classroom of one-year-olds and the children were, ex- were expected to sit for 20 minutes looking at flashcards and learning numbers and letters and they're one. And when she asked why, well, we have to get them ready for the two-year-old class. (laughs) I mean, oh my gosh, it's all so wrong. You know, it's just, yeah, so it can't go on. Um, And then I'm not sure you know that, I I don't know that the book is going to be enough. So I'm creating a League of Champions uh spark a revolution a league of champions it's going to be a membership program and it will debut about the same time as the book people who join will get a free digital copy of the book and and the the program will expand on the content in the book but also offer some action steps you know so because one of the big things is i don't know what to do um where to start yeah so i'll propose some suggestions you know and We'll have a Facebook page for discussion and Q&A and all sorts of good things. So,
0: oh, I did not know that. And I love it. Very exciting. You can count me in. Oh yay! Yay. (laughs) And we will also make sure that all that information is on the podcast note page so that everybody can access it that way so that everybody can get a copy of the book and join.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Carla. I really appreciate it.
0: No problem. Now, Ray, where can people start following you?
1: Uh, well, you know, anything you want to know about me, you can find at raypeaker.com and, um, you can there access, um, uh, my free resource library for early childhood professionals. There are 20 downloadable guides and, you know, um, I don't know, all sorts of s- subjects there. <laughs> I can't remember offhand what they are. Um, but yeah, that's free. And, and then, uh, Ray Pika keynotes and consulting on Facebook is my page. And that's where I share the good stuff and, you know, do all my ranting, raise mm-hmm. rants, <laughs>
0: which we love. We love your weekly rants. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, any final words to leave our early childhood educators with so that they can start sparking a revolution mm-hmm. now?
1: I can't quote it exactly, even though I've written it gosh knows how many times Margaret Mead said you know never doubt that a small group of individuals can make a difference you know in fact it's the only thing that ever has which is a poor paraphrase but we can make a difference you know we can we have to um
0: our future relies on it for everybody
1: yeah 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 i mean the future of the profession the future of the children which means the future of our countries and you know it really does it really does and i have um i have a stuffed and a suncatcher starfish in my office to remind me of the parable from chicken soup for the soul one starfish at a time i don't know if you've heard it you know the guys walking down the beach and he sees some other guy coming toward him who keeps bending down and picking something up and throwing it in the water. And when they get close up, he says, What are you doing? And the second guy says, I'm saving these starfish by throwing them in the water. And the first one says, but you know, there are millions of starfish and thousands of beaches. How can you expect to make a difference? And the second guy picks one up, throws the starfish into the water and says, made a difference to that one. And I want to start quiet. Yes! Right. <laughs> because if we just think of it that way. Just one starfish, one child, one parent at a time,
0: you know, we will make a difference. Without a doubt. On that lovely story, we will end here. Thank you so much for coming on today's podcast. Thank
1: you, Carla. This is
0: great fun.